0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right, it's time for another edition of This Week in Trump, or as my producer likes to call it, twit. Uh, This week, of course, President Trump faced uh, a whole myriad of issues that uh, I'm not sure he was prepared to handle. Uh, Gun violence in, in, of course, Las Vegas and the tragedy there, and also uh, hurricane uh, damage in Puerto Rico, visiting there and uh, offering his... uh, support, I guess. And, of course, the latest, hackers uh, backed by Russian uh, the Russian government have s- uh, stolen secrets from uh, the National Security Agency. Uh, Associated Press reporting Russian government-backed hackers stole highly classified U.S. cyber secrets in 2015 from the National Security Agency after a contractor put information on his home computer. Uh, this from the Wall Street uh, Journal on Thursday. The theft included information on penetrating foreign computer networks and protecting against cyber attacks and is likely to be viewed as one of the most significant security breaches to date, uh, the newspaper reported. To talk more about all of this, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, Elliot Tepper, is with us now. Elliot, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Scott. So what sort of info, how damaging is this?
1: We are still getting just the barest outlines of what was uh, actually involved here. But this is a the latest in a whole series of incidents going back at least to uh, Snowden in uh, 2013, where massive amounts of information were taken out of the NSA and leaked for one purpose or another. Snowden said he had to reveal the degree to which America was being spied on by its own spy agencies. And uh, as far as we know, there were no operational uh, individuals involved, no compromises of, of ongoing operations. So he said it was a public service. But in August of this past year, 2016, a group, a hacker group, unrelated to anybody else, apparently, broke in and stole the NSA's toolkit, the bag of tools that they use to hack into other countries and other uh, systems. Now, whether this latest report is related to that one or not isn't clear to me. But what is clear is that some of America's most closely guarded and one would think most heavily protected uh, spy tools are being accessed by at least uh outsiders and very likely uh, the Russians.
0: Uh what's the chance of someone doing this who wasn't being encouraged by uh, some sort of outside force
1: like Russia? Oh, these this hackers the shot like would, would would
0: people do this for fun, Elliot, as you said, is this a public service?
1: Well, people have varying motives and what we do know, and to give the NSA and also Canada's related agencies credit, these, we are being bombarded by hackers, from kids just doing it for fun, to criminals, to terrorists, to foreign governments who uh, mean us harm. And to be fair, I think it's, uh, the United States undoubtedly is very good at it themselves in return in terms of accessing, as we know, for example, Angela Merkel's cell phones, <laughs> and uh, her conversation. So uh, this is spy versus spy at one level, just an ongoing form of you know how governments do business. But beyond that, when it gets to the point where hackers are selling it for money or terrorists are breaking in in order to use it uh, for their own ends, and a lot of theft is for intellectual property. Uh, apparently it's alleged that China has uh, risen to the level it is now in part by steadily accessing intellectual property of, of other countries, and North Korea has a very highly developed cyber capacity as well. We know that they hacked Sony, for example, because they were angry at a movie that was made. There's a whole range of issues, Right. Hmm. but uh, the bottom line is our security is is always under question, and we'd better be vigilant.
0: And as a public, we're way more aware of this than we ever were. As you said, it goes on all the time, but it seems now it's in the public domain that this is happening. Do you think America fully grasps the hold that Russia has on manipulating its society?
1: Well, let's narrow it down to Russia, because that's certainly a prime concern. We know that uh, multiple investigations are going on now into how they interfered and for what purpose and to what degree and depth in the last American election and we find most recently that they were also accessing at the state level electoral commissions and there's always concern about you know those machines that count the votes so the russians have a, an active measures campaign as it's called to interfere with American democracy at a number of levels certainly the cybersecurity and the intelligence community is is one critical level but beyond that just accessing how america operates and maybe interfering in it creating chaos and uncertainty is a goal in and of itself
0: uh... interesting you should say that we were just talking to john thompson security consultant uh-huh. from the strategic, uh, strategic intelligence group we were talking about the las vegas scenario he was saying that now they're investigating fake news sites that are con- trying to create conspiracy theories on the las vegas shooting in order to undermine that way
1: yes and it was instantly done and and some of it is strictly partisan there's one group that's trying to find in every possible way releasing fake news that it's really somehow all the liberals and the Democrats' fault. Uh, so it immediately became a, a target. This, in, this tragedy became a target of partisan uh, fake news and cyber attacks and cyber activity.
0: In the end, is Russia winning? Because nobody knows what the heck to believe, Elliot. Is Russia
1: winning? Well, uh, we aren't sure what America and others... Uh, such as Canada, partners might be doing. Are doing. Good well. point, good so, point. Uh, what seemed to have happened in the last German election is that they wanted to continue, the Russians wanted to continue in the way they normally have done, and certainly continue to do in America after the election, and got warned off by Angela Merkel and uh, said, you better stop this. And so they stopped that, but then they use more normal techniques using their Various propaganda arms to influence the election in Germany through Russian television and others, and fake news. The uh, typical one was well, somebody is raped, and, and we have to stand up against that. And they talked about our Lisa because this was a Russian-speaking Russian-descendant person living in in Germany, and it was totally bogus. So there's many ways. Uh, it's, it's, we now have hybrid warfare involving, involving all kinds of the use of information and misuse of it. Uh,
0: let's go. I, I can't let you go, Elliot, without asking you about Las Vegas before we continue sure. on the on the Trump stuff. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, fake sites here trying to promote this as some sort of conspiracy theory. Uh, how do you process all of this?
1: Uh, America is undergoing a variety of transitions. One of them is technological so that we can not stay at just the you know, the cyber and there's a difference between cyber hacking, which is an ongoing spy versus spy and cyber attacking, and which is uh, what happened in the last election apparently and is apparently still continuing. So that's a technical evolution. But beyond that, uh the the divisions in America which are being accelerated and intensified by the use of social media, which is not necessarily cyber at all in that sense and also the use of fake news and cyber. So America is all caught up in an evolving dynamic, which is not moving in a positive dire- direction for democracy.
0: Uh, let's listen to what uh, Donald Trump had to say in regard to the Las Vegas shooter.
2: Okay. Yeah, we're looking. I can tell you it's a uh, very sick man. He was a very demented person. Uh, we haven't seen that yet, but you will know very soon if we find something. We're looking very, very hard. Uh, and then uh, inviting people to the White House. The only message I can say is that we're with you 100%. We are, uh, in fact, I invited a lot of them over to the White House. I said, "If you ever heard Washington come on over to (laughs) (laughs) the Oval Office? And they're all saying, we want to do it, how do we do it? And believe me, I'll be there for them. Uh, But uh, the message that I have is we have a great country and we are there for you.
0: Elliot, how is he handling these situations? I mean, I'm not sure he was fully aware of of the scope of this job and what it all entailed, including comforting a country during a time of tragedy. Uh, How is he handling this?
1: What's interesting is uh, some comparisons between what happened just before, say, Puerto Rico and the earlier hurricanes, and he got high marks for showing up and showing Empathy and reading things off his teleprompter rather effectively. And he got a bump in the polls by acting presidential for, as it turns out, a relatively short time because then he reverted to things that kind of depress his uh, numbers at the polls. Puerto Rico should be mentioned because Puerto Rico uh, is an American territory. Those are American citizens. But when he went there, I thought there was something qualitatively different to, than the rest of the Donald Trump. Um, phenomenon that we that we see when he's on the stump it's theater when he's addressing his his large crowds it's theater when he's throwing out things that on twitter early in the morning it's really you could say part of a context of feeding the base and also diverting attention so it's all intentional but when he got to puerto rico there was something about it scott that seemed like that was just him And what we saw was not very flattering. It was very callous and callow. Elliot, he's
0: he's throwing out paper towels like they're t-shirts at a Super Bowl party. Yes,
1: or, you know, like exactly, at a sporting event. And his off-the-cuff comments. Now, that's not too likely to hurt him at the polls, because it is Puerto Rico, not Texas. So when he got to Texas, when he got to Las Vegas, he behaved in a more presidential fashion, Mm -hmm. um, apparently showing some empathy. But If what we saw was the unvarnished, the unvarnished Donald Trump in Puerto Rico, it was very disconcerting. And indeed, um, the polling is starting to come out on this. He lost a lot of public support over his handling of what was going on in Puerto Rico. Uh, His polling numbers were were quite negative, uh, further sinking him. But it was also very partisan, so that his Republican base stays quite solid.
0: Uh, Here's what he had to say in Puerto Rico.
2: I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack. Because we've spent a lot of money on Puerto Rico, and that's fine. We've saved a lot of lives.
0: <sighs> I mean, how can anybody interpret that any different?
2: And also, have
1: a nice day. And, yeah, when he was
0: exactly when he's meeting people that had been displaced, he's again. Well also, it's it's like he's greeting them at some sort of welcoming yes, party. Yes,
1: and also beyond that, the whole idea that you know, you didn't really have a tragedy. Now, it wasn't Katrina, because so many people were killed yeah. in Katrina, but you've hardly had any deaths at all. I mean, this is unseemly behavior by any leader, certainly by the president of the United States, and, again, Puerto Rico is, is an American uh, territory. So with citizens. They can't vote, but they're citizens. So uh, I, he'll come out of this probably ultimately about the way that He entered into it. That is, the people who supported him before will probably keep supporting him, and and vice versa, those who saw in him a person unfit for the job will say, look, it's all been proven. Uh,
0: what about Vegas? And of course, uh, lots are talking about gun control. Yeah. Everybody knew this discussion would start again. Uh, many aren't expecting much uh, of this, considering all the past uh, shootings that there's been and no real action. However, the NRA has uh, spoken up and said uh, yeah. they want to uh, get rid of these bump stocks which right. allow the, the rifle to to, f- to fire repetitively. Uh, does he have a chance to blaze a trail here?
1: Not a chance. The The clip that you played there, that, you know, this is uh, evil. Well, of course, it is evil. And this is probably a mentally ill person. It probably is. But his press secretary and everybody around him and all the talk shows that support him immediately said, this is no time to talk about gun control. This is very standard operating procedure after every tragedy from the Republican and NRI circles, saying, you know, it's got nothing to do with guns. It's got to do with evil and bad people and sick people. And on the other side, immediately comes out, this is the time to talk, and it is the time to to have some common-sense policy. Now, when it comes to the NRA suddenly saying, yes, actually uh, do something on gun control, it's a very it's political cover, it's been called, and that's a nice mm-hmm. way of putting it. Uh,
0: so this is a way you think. It just if if we take the first step or make the first comment, then
1: uh, the rest will go away. Right. Right. I, I do not see this as a as a an, an inflection point in America on the debate on gun control.
0: So you don't see this changing anything?
1: No, I don't. And and what we're going to see is more massacres, unfortunately, and more excuses for why we shouldn't act upon them. Uh, the only op- There's only two options here. One is the Democrats have to do. And, the, and and i don't mean just democrats people who want sensible gun control have to do what the nra has done and the republicans primarily go into the primaries and elect people who can change the laws and right now i would bet against uh, that happening that uh, more people are going to you can't out-organize apparently on the ground the people who make the, the the laws regarding gun control and secondly a lot of those districts are gerrymandered there it's very hard to get different kinds of people elected in America because of not only gerrymandering, but also voter suppression, so that what we see in front of us is almost an institutionalized and uh, ritual display of positions on each side, very sadly. I'm sorry to, to think that way, but it would be good if this does lead to the kind of organizing on the ground that leads to a change in the people who get elected and therefore public policy.
0: Uh, do Americans realize this is their terrorism? I mean, they're uh, you know under the leadership of Donald Trump, always quick to point to other countries when there's some sort of tragedy, whether it's a terrorism attack or or what have you. Uh, often will criticize leaders for failing to protect their citizens. Yeah. Often in lieu of condolences, um, is anybody looking in the mirror here and and, and realizing that gun crime is? Equivalent is America's terrorism, except it's self-inflicted. Does it get that more people die at the hands of a gun than do it to terrorist attacks? That it By is far. more that it is more of a threat than terrorism is.
1: The um, really gun deaths in America is a very complicated subject, and and it's been studied and studied and studied. So that suicide is another, and then there's this. Yeah, two
0: suicide makes up for two thirds, from what I understand. Yes,
1: and you know suicides are another, and. Gang violence is another. So there's, but ultimately, the more guns and the more availability of guns with higher capacity for, for, for. Yeah, like this isn't this isn't you know. happening.
0: This isn't happening in any other country, Elliot. Not I mean, they exactly. might be blowing people up in restaurants, and buses, and stuff. But this sort of thing, which is happening on a much greater scale, is not happening in any other country.
1: Well, then you come back to the politics of it. If you don't want it, then you have to out-organize the people who will like the status quo, even though they may say right now that's too bad. So it ultimately comes down to who can get elected and who can make the laws.
0: It's amazing somebody on the opposition doesn't package it that way, though.
1: Yes. The Democrats have been given enormous amounts of ammunition if I'm, that's the wrong word in this context, isn't it?
3: Uh, <laughs> I argumentation understand.
1: Argumentation. To carry into the next election, if if they have, if they can get their act together, the Republicans can be charged, fairly or unfairly, but uh, in terms of a position you can put forward into the polity, look, uh, this group in power right now, and it isn't Donald Trump, it's the Republican Party and Donald Trump, are poisoning your water, they're poisoning your air, they're they are uh, weakening your defenses against Wall Street uh, disasters like the one we had before. It's going to come back, and. Uh, Given a choice between massacres and gun control, they'll choose massacres every time. That's an argument one could put together, Mm. whether that will happen uh, and whether people think that would be an effective way to deal with the the current political structure remains to be seen. But right now, uh, both the Republicans and the NRA are much better organized and much better at seeking and achieving power.
0: Uh, only got about 30 seconds to a minute left. I have to ask you about Donald Trump's latest comment to a group of uh, military officials talking about the calm before the storm. Yes. Uh, is this more boy crying wolf? How do we interpret this?
1: He's commander-in-chief, and he, has, he can order America's uh, troops into action. Now, he cannot, in fact, declare war. That's only Congress can declare war, but he has a lot of discretion to use force, and he's got a Republican Congress, so... Yes, we now have internationally lifting it up to that level. We have a tinderbox in, in, in North Korea and the whole region. Any spark could change what is this period of calm. And he's also now going to elevate the Iranian situation from a, from a temporarily settled situation into a, maybe another nuclear confrontation or nuclear issue. So we'll have that on two fronts. We'll have to see, as he put it, just watch and see. So I think those are ominous comments, Hmm. and and we indeed have to keep a close eye on it.
0: Elliot Tepper has been with us, emeritus professor, political science, Carleton University. Elliot, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, it's good to
1: talk to you, Scott.
0: Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHL. More inconvenient truths about banning uh, gas engines. Let's bring in David Booth, senior writer, postmedia driving, driving.ca. Uh, his latest, um, um, his latest for, uh, motor Motormouth: uh, Inconvenient Truths on Banning uh, Gas Engines. Interesting, uh, CBC running an article today: electric car takeoff just waiting for an inevitable price war. Uh, that's not what David said. Let's bring him on now. Hi, David. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us.
4: Uh, good, good. Glad to be here. Happy to uh, help you out. Here.
0: So uh, the article at the CBC, uh, the headline is "Electric Car Takeoff Just Waiting for an Inevitable Price War." Is that what it is? Is that what we're all waiting for? Is just the price to come down, and as soon as one of these companies is smart enough to have some sort of sale, we'll all jump on board.
4: It's part of the equation, certainly. I mean, right now it's been uh, certainly sort of a dilettante car, all EVs, because they've been so much more expensive than the, uh, the comparable gasoline powered car um, people are very optimistic that the prices will be equal if not better for uh, evs within 10 years i or maybe eight years um, i'm a little skeptical but i there's going to be for sure progress and that will be part of the equation but it won't be i don't think it's going to be the roadblock to the uh banning shall we say like we've heard in the news in france and germany and talked about california of the uh uh, the gasoline powered car because um as i say in my article that you just mentioned uh, the bottleneck to widespread um use of the ev uh widespread adoption of the uh, of the ev is not the batteries it's not even how many miles like the range anxiety uh that is the long-term bottleneck it's the local distribution um if you'll give me a minute, like yeah, go nobody, for it. And nobody argues that uh, in town, a pure battery powered EV is a really good deal. You charge it up at home in off hours, and um, you know at lower rates, it's ready to go in the in the in the in the morning. Generally, uh, especially now that the uh, Bolt uh, has you know I uh, think it's 280 like kilometers of range, uh, you, you won't run out of range in your typical day. Uh, you know, uh, very, very few people won't be able to get by, you know, local commuting uh, with 300 kilometers or more. So from a uh, zero emissions automotive standpoint, the electric vehicle is really perfect for in in town. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is we don't Buy cars for what we do every uh, most days. We do it for what we uh, uh, we buy cars for what we do every uh, all days. And you know, once a month, once every two months, we have to take uh, a trip on the highway. According to statistics I've seen, about one third of all the miles are still on the highway that cars are driven in North America. It turns out it's about a trillion miles per year in Canada and the U.S. combined. And the problem is, is I I don't know. If you were out on the weekend, or three weekends ago and it was Labor Day weekend, Mm -hmm. on the way home on the 401, every one of the gas stations was full. They got 16 pumps apiece, and there was more than one car lined up behind each one of those pumps. They were going full-time all day long. And that's where you run into the bottleneck, because the fastest charger that we're ever going to be allowed to be used, one that's so high-tech... uh, that it has to have the cables liquid-cooled because it generates so much heat. Yeah. It's the biggest thing that even the experts say will be able to use. will still take about 20 minutes to charge an, uh, an EV. Well, you know, it takes two minutes to fill up a gas car. So if you got 16 pumps, it's going to – well, uh, theoretically, it could take 10 times as many of these chargers to serve all the cars that 16 pumps do. And they cost $200,000 a piece. Okay? Mm. So the problem is, is uh, you'll have a, a gas station the size of a small city. It's um, going to cost about twenty-five million dollars to make. And the other thing is, is as we uh, as uh, unlike the way environmentalists like to propose to EV, where you're always charging at night. This, you know, these peak periods will, of travel with on the highway will all be during the day. So you'll have to build more, uh, a bigger electric grid, you'll have to get green green, um, green uh, power, you know, either uh, solar cells or windmills. Each one of those stations will need about 25 to $40 million of new grid to actually be able to service that peak load. It's pretty much impractical. Uh, I, I, the numbers were so big that I couldn't believe how much money it would cost to replace those gas stations and how inconvenient they would be. I don't see how a pure battery-powered electric vehicle, when we all are driving them, it's fine when there's just a few on the road. But when there's, you know, uh, 25 million of them on the road, which is the registrations in Canada right now, they're going to be impossible to service on the highway. Virtually impossible.
0: Um you know, it, it, unfortunately, these discussions always turn into, and, and you know, it's obviously centered around activism. It's either one or the other. Yeah. Like you true. know, like this whole this whole discussion centered around electric vehicles has all been about replacing fossil fuel. We got to replace fossil fuel. It's and, and it's Democrat
4: almost and, and, and it's yeah, and and,
0: and again, it's very much like the electricity file uh, was in Ontario, and you know, all these steps that we've taken that really weren't needed and just you know again nobody's arguing that greens the way to go it's just not cost-effective no, if no, you don't no. if you if you don't do cost analysis and it, it it always seems when we get in these discussions and it's the same thing with the electricity and in Kathleen Wynn, if we question anything then we're deemed as fossil fuel burning pigs well, uh, that don't want to save the it. that don't want to save that don't want to save the planet and I guess my point in all of this is Why does it always have to be, you know, activism on one side and it's all or nothing? Uh, Because at the end of the day, what you're describing to me is, realistically, this is a great partial solution. It works great in the downtown cores. It works great when you're traveling less than 100K a day. It's a perfect option for that, but it will certainly by no means solve all of our transportation problems. So maybe if we address this discussion, instead of saying it's all about electric cars and getting gas off the road and said, hey, here's another option which we can use, which will help work towards the final goal. Maybe there'd be a lot more people on board as opposed to joining the militant discussion about going green at all cost
4: in fact in fact uh, you're addressing um, that the, the story that you mentioned was actually the second part of my series and it's interesting because the cars that Tesla owners hate the most is not gasoline cars or even pickup trucks it's the Volt with you know it's tiny little it's a virtual electric motor uh, electric car with a small generator to keep it going w- right. when you run out of battery juice and I made the, the, the same exact point um, last week in my column, which was, as I said, about 30% of the f- uh, uh, fuel used on the highways is about, is, uh, are in all cars, is on the highways, okay? So if you just banned electric cars uh, or gasoline cars in the cities and mandated that if you had an extended range car, you could not use the gasoline engine in the city, you would save about 70% of the uh, of the greenhouse gases, uh, uh, all the other emissions, and you'd also cut fuel consumption by that much. And then, when you get into the onto the highways, the uh, that gasoline range extender kicks in, and you still have the infrastructure from gasoline uh, on the highway, costing you not one red penny. So you could reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 70 to 75 percent without costing yourself a cent or having to build this huge infrastructure that they're talking about. And yet, more than anything, when I talk with the people that uh, like EVs, they hate that solution more than just gasoline cars. It's almost like, um, you know, you're talking about the radical extremes. It's almost like an evangelical Uh, about religious matters. It's almost like the Republican versus the Democrat in the states, and they really don't want to take a practical solution. And in fact, there's some of them that would actually say, like, if we cut back the pollution out of tailpipes, from the cars by seventy-five percent. That's not enough. We have to go for a hundred percent. We have to be pure. We have to be virgins. We, you know, the whole. Well, the whole, you know,
0: even the language of the CBC article. It says Volvo has already announced it's phasing out the internal combustion engine no, as, as soon it's as 2019. That simply is not true. They're no, no, they're they're confusing electrification
4: with elec- electric with and electric problem, cars.
0: And that and like explain is, explain what Volvo is doing.
4: Well. Uh, Volvo, uh, Volvo is electrifying its cars. So uh, it's hard to s- uh, say exactly what percentage, but y- you can pretty much be assured that as of 2019 and 2020, when all this will kick in, maybe 1% or 2% of the cars will be purely battery-powered electric vehicles. As opposed okay. to
0: driven by a gasoline engine, which is driving an alternator and powering the electronics yeah, yeah. of the car. So
4: there'll be but 98% will be some kind of hybrids. But uh, Volvo hybrids are actually very good but they're also very expensive. They're at least a 10000 or $12,000 uptick. So maybe there's another 5% of those, but I don't even think that much. Most of them will be, be these um, uh, mild hybrids, which just puts a bigger alternator and a bigger battery to give you just a slight bit of push. It gets, to tell you the truth, where they've come to, from is from Europe. Where they're going away from diesel because of Dieselgate and right. Volkswagen, and these mild hybrids get about the same fuel economy as um, as as a diesel. Hmm. So, but they're still essentially gasoline powered. Like 90 on a mild hybrid, um, and even the ones Volvo is going to make, 95% of the propulsion or 90% of the propulsion is coming from pistons and gasoline, and that will still be well over 90% of Volvo's cars. Going forward past twenty twenty, so the uh, and 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 this is the uh, the worst part of uh, the envir- environmental um, segment that is, they push these um, unrealistic um, solutions. Then make erroneous statements and misleading statements to say that you know Volvo is going all, all, all.
0: And that does nothing to help the discussion, I find either no, no. And, David. And, and it's I, like you know, like why do we have to fight about you know, like you said, totally eliminating it, doing this, that, and the other. It, it's like you know, th- there's a, it's a big step from 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 electric to gas, and there's a lot of space in between where we and and you know to develop this and, and develop it the right way. And again, you know, I look back at the electricity system and talking to Premier Wynn about this. And she's saying, well, now all the other provinces have to catch up with us. And it's like, what a pile of bunk. All the provinces are sitting back now and looking at how Kathleen Wynn implemented her electricity system and saying, that's the way we don't want to do it because, you know, you're going to get booted. So, yeah. you know, it's like there's this rush to and again you know I, I, i'm all for green and i think most canadians are but it seems that there's we've let an activism take over common sense and things like you know uh, what volvo is saying instead of taking what they're saying for face value and having the discussion it's like it's like it's all anti-gas 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 and again not that i'm a fossil fuel burning flag waver here but it's like it's just not practical
4: well, I would tell you that the EV movement and maybe possibly the larger environmental movement is becoming more of a religion than a science. There's plenty of science to back it up, climate change and everything else like that. Though, as we found out recently, there was, uh, that it's not as bad as, as the predictions were made five years ago. It's still something we need to address.
0: Absolutely. But, Absolutely. And no one's disagreeing with that, David.
4: No, but the problem is, is that when I get counter-arguments to what I write... Some of them are logical. Not that many, but some of them are logical, well thought out. But mostly, it's just an answer by rote. They don't want to hear any number, any um, factual numbers. They don't want to even begin to think practically. Like, so, for instance, most of the answers to this or to, 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 to comments to this latest article is basically people will have to change. We're going to learn to change. We're going to be inconvenienced, and they'll just have to put up with it. And, of course... In the history of mankind, there's never been one product—forget cars, anything in the world—where a product replaces another, pro- an older product, yeah. and is less convenient than the product it replaces. Hasn't happened in in, uh, in 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 the history of mankind. I mean, you know, fast food restaurants weren't convenient enough for We had to invent the the the, um, the drive-through. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, if an electric car doesn't Prove to be every bit in every way as convenient as a gas car it's not going to be well received by the public and the only way they can possibly um uh get the get uh, overtake gasoline powered cars is if they actually force it down the public's throat and i don't think they're going to be able to do that
0: uh, we could have been, we could say that we've been phasing out internal combustion engines since we in brought up the first, since whoever introduced the first electric car in modern times, couldn't we?
4: We, well, we could, I mean, but you got to remember that uh, you'll have to define modern times because, you know, back at... The
0: yeah, the first the cars last were electric, yeah.
4: Last the yeah. turn of the last century, um, there was no indication or no, you wouldn't have bet that gasoline was going to outpower electric in the long run. I mean, gasoline, steam, and electric were all vying for the number one um, Mm -hmm. position uh, in terms of the hearts and minds of, you know, the people in the early 1900s. And the reason gasoline won wasn't because it was cheaper. It wasn't because it was more reliable. It was because it was more convenient.
0: Mm. Interesting. And, and, you know, uh, how many times are we having this discussion in regards to the transportation of goods and services as well as, you know, private oh. vehicles and such?
4: Uh, I, 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 you know, I mean, they dream about a long range uh, truck. I mean, trucks, you know, when they do a husband and wife team, they drive hours and hours and hours. And I mean, I, I saw a calculation the other day. I haven't bothered to review it. But basically, the batteries that would be required by... A Truck at current um, levels would weigh as much as a current truck does. Just the batteries in the truck would weigh as mm. much as the current truck does. It's not viable. It's just. Not. And then I hear people saying they're going to make electric planes. Uh, you know, uh, good God, you got to circle around the uh, uh, around the um, around the airport, and you've got your you're having range anxiety. It's the silliest notion I've ever heard. Of.
0: Again, you know, it makes it sound like we're peeing over technology uh, and electric cars, and that's not the case at all. But boy, it, it's got to be cost effective, and it's got to be there's got to be a realistic time frame here.
4: Yeah, and and plug-in hybrids like look, like
0: everybody's I, been waiting I, for this great invention for for years. It still hasn't happened, and, uh, and at the end of the day, people you know people pay with their pocketbooks.
4: Yes, well, I, as I say, I I do have you know I I have to profess a preference personally. I love the internal combustion engine, but I, I'm not foolish. It's not going to survive all by itself yep. uh, in my lifetime. But a plug-in hybrid that reduces 75 percent of the um, emissions and doesn't cost me an extra dime in infrastructure and poses no inconvenience of huge lineups in service stations along the highway um, is a much better solution. I, As I said, I'm an engineer. I think about this from a purely engineering, no romance uh, point of view. An electric car is a wonderful solution, maybe the very best. It is, in fact, the best solution for emissions-free inner-city driving. On the other hand, it is the very worst engineering solution for an intra-city commute. It, there's just nothing worse. I mean, I'd rather have steam, to be honest with you. I'd rather burn wood. I could probably put more wood in, into the trunk uh, faster <laughs> the than old, I can. The old,
0: Stanley, the the old Stanley steamer. Uh, David, David Booth's been with us, senior writer, Post Media Driving, driving.ca and, of course, his uh, latest article, Motor Mouth, More Convenient Truths on Banning Gasoline Engines. David, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
4: You're quite welcome. Have a good day. You too. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to
2: 3 on AM 900 CHML.
0: Yesterday, it was announced that uh, the, pretty much uh, the demise of the Energy East uh, pipeline. Uh, TransCanada made the decision to cancel the Energy East pipeline project, uh, expose deep divisions across the political landscape on Thursday right across the country. Uh, and to bring, uh, to talk more about all of this, uh, oh, sorry, I forgot. Um... No, it's okay. I'll do that later. Uh, let's bring in, uh, right now, Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP and consumer affairs critic, analyst at uh, GasBuddy.com. That's GasBuddy.com to find out more. He's here now. Dan, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this.
3: Uh, it's good to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, what? Why did TransCanada pull
3: out of this? Is
0: it about environmental issues or is it about the market?
1: Well,
3: the market has been a problem since 2013, 2014, uh, probably since September of 2014 when prices began to fall. But that did not stop TransCanada from uh, proceeding and pushing ahead with the uh, pipeline, mostly because the pipeline itself is, uh, I wouldn't say entirely, but a good amount of it is already built. Uh, The headwinds that uh, the company was facing, I think, became pretty evident when uh, activists, environmental activists, decided to violently uh, overturn and uh, prevent uh, the National Energy Board from uh, considering uh, the extension of uh, that pipeline, turning it, obviously, from a natural gas pipeline to a, an oil pipeline, extending it across Quebec in, to meet uh, open waters uh, that are ice-free, basically, in, uh, in New Brunswick, near the Irving plant. Uh, that's really, I think what the touching uh, the, the, the main point was as far as uh, the uh, the cancellation and the decision, which I think was very diplomatic on behalf of Trans-Canada pipelines. I heard Russ Gerling's uh, commentary. I thought he was very uh, high road about it. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, you couldn't mistake the disappointment uh, uh, from the provincial governments from the Maritimes uh, and back into Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, unfortunately, you didn't hear much here in Ontario, and you should have, because a lot of that, those pipes were to be built here. A lot of the engineering involved with building those pipes were in Peterborough, Ontario. Now, of course, they're going to close the CGE plant, which has been there, Kane General Electric, uh, since the uh, late 1890s. Uh, 800 jobs gone. There, there's a number of uh, stakeholders, those who had an interest here, uh, who were on board. And unfortunately, uh, it, uh, the, t- the change in the terms of reference that uh, the uh, Canadian government, the Trudeau government, saddled the NEB with, National Energy Board, the regulator that approves these pipelines to include indirect costs and indirect uh, causation of greater emissions somewhere in the world, I think was the deal killer. And it's why uh, the company TransCanada Pipelines uh, chose to abandon the uh, $12 to $16 uh, billion project which would have probably netted Canada an additional anywhere from 10 to $20 billion in uh, in additional sales of uh, Canadian oil to a world that wants more oil.
0: How does the Prime Minister feel about this? I mean, for a while there, the way he was approving them and pushing them forward, it seemed like he was doing more than Harper was for these.
3: Well, I think that's a little unfair uh, characterization. I'm not here to defend Mr. Harper, and I'm certainly not here to give Mr. Trudeau a hard time, but I think the fact is the detail was pretty much done on the case of trans mountain pipeline kind of hard to argue against a pipeline it's only going to be a few feet away from an existing pipeline uh really a doubling of the pipeline so it was a no-brainer but the other ones of course were rejected another pipeline the line six uh the uh, five rather that carries itself through uh the manitoba border back into alberta was just a relining of the, uh, of, the of the existing corroded pipeline so uh, generally, though, we've seen um, a number of pipeline proposals. The Pacific Northwest uh, pipeline. Uh, we've seen the uh, uh, we've seen now this pipeline take a, a deep dive, uh, and we've seen uh, what amounts to at least 30 billion dollars in potential investments, both with uh, oil and LNG, leave Canada over the past several months. Uh, that kind of number simply cannot be replaced in terms of expected economic. Uh, outcomes, which I think would have been very positive for Canada. And we've discussed this many times, you and I, Scott, about the positive uh, effects of being able to sell more oil to the rest of the world. Our number one export, it is by itself the largest uh, area of exports, more than auto parts. And I know some people think that's not the case, but when you consider the amount of re-importation of uh, Canadian auto parts... A lot of it is already built, partially assembled here, sent back maybe two or three or four times. So it's uh, the, the metrics used to calculate the automotive puts it at a distant second to oil. And unfortunately, we've lost a rather significant wealth creator, wealth generator, something that would have united the uh, the country from virtually coast to coast.
0: So how does the Prime Minister feel about this? He said, you know, we've got to get our, our resources to market. So how does he feel about TransCanada pulling out?
3: You can't suck and blow. No, I mean, what he's basically yeah. trying to say is that he wants to have his cake and eat it. Yeah. He wants to have it get to market, but he wants to put all sorts of conditions, social license to uh, consideration for uh, indirect co- costs associated or uh, emissions uh, that a pipeline might bring. Uh, it's one thing to say you want to do these things, but you've acted to basically spike this project. Uh, I referred to it yesterday yesterday. Uh, on a number of stations in the morning, uh, as economic vandalism, and there is no one who uh, is to blame for this other than the prime minister himself, who has make it, made a decision uh, that is far more important to meet certain climate objectives than it is to look after the welfare of Canadians. And I say that because there is no doubt that the amount of money that would have been generated by by this mega project would have been good for everybody, including Quebec, including my old colleague in the House of Commons, Denis Cadaya, in Montreal and Quebec, of course, that takes in some nine and. A half What's the days. issue
0: in Quebec? Why is he so against this?
3: I don't know. For a guy who uh, drives around SUVs, uh, for a guy who you know littered uh, the Great Lakes with billions of liters of uh, raw sewage. Really, I don't think he's in a very strong position to make comments. But he obviously is looking at the uh, constituency, a, a very active, a very loud, and a very vociferous constituency that, uh, ironically, is uh, is going to hurt the Maritimes. It's obviously not going to help Alberta. Which finds itself in a very unusual circumstance of being in difficult times, yet having to pay billions of dollars every year in transfers, of which the province of Quebec and ostensibly the city of Montreal uh, and its uh, citizens uh, collect some $9.5 billion uh, from this activity. What's good for Alberta is good for Quebec, but uh, if you'd heard the uh, bluster from. So the, is
0: this all activism that shut it down in Quebec? I, I have a hard I time believing that.
3: I of the federal liberals and. Uh, they're, uh, it's not clear to me that Trans Mountain Pipeline that they approved is ever going to go through. Uh, it looks like they're going to basically sit in front of bulldozers and do whatever they can to prevent that from happening. There's a committed group in this country supported by um, those who believe that uh, uh, climate science is absolutely correct, the world is imploding, and that uh, if we don't do something, uh, the world is going to come to an end, and as a result, Canada has to do its part. What we're actually witnessing, however, is a little bit of what I consider medieval bloodletting, where you didn't really know what was wrong with the patient, so you let it bleed a little bit until you find out what the problem is. Unfortunately, that is a very, very irresponsible way of, uh, of proceeding, and I, I think, uh, if I uh, can say it very bluntly, uh, it's not going to be in Canada's best interest, especially when we're accumulating tens of billions of dollars in deficits every year. How are we going to pay for this if we continue to shut down the very engines of growth that have generated and maintained and paid for our balanced budgets in the past?
0: Uh, Government is kind of saying, oh, well, nothing to see here. Uh, Apparently, demand for oil is down. So uh, it's just a pure business decision here.
3: Well, that's absolute baloney. And I would challenge anybody who comes forward with that because demand, according to the International Energy Agency, the Energy Information Agency of the United States, is saying that demand for oil is, in fact, up. In fact, in July... June rather, June 18th, we hit the highest record of uh, oil consumption ever worldwide at 100, billion, uh, 100 million barrels a day. We've never seen that happen, and uh, it's likely, though, that uh, we will continue to see demand increase. I mean, it, we look at gasoline as being the only reason to make oil. Think of everything in your life uh, that we use that has some component within it, any chemical, any composition of, a, of chemistry. The things that have improved our lives has a lot to do with their basis on oil, and we tend to disregard that. We're, we're really good at basically dumping on ourselves, and at a time when the world wants more Canadian oil, this government has spiked the National Energy Board review and basically uh, told a company, if you want to do this, it's going to be tough to get approval. You might get it in five or ten years, or you may never get it at all. Who would want to work in that kind of an environment? So companies like TransCanada, may have the TransCanada name, are free to go elsewhere, United States, wherever else, uh, you know, make investments, get their product to market. And unfortunately, Canadians will be drawer of waters, drawers of water and hewers of wood because their governments and a, and a small minority, a vocal minority in this country, seem to have it kept hostage.
0: How does Trudeau feel about Coderre's interference in all of this? Well, I
3: you know both of them personally, uh, sat with them. I think Coderre and, and, and Trudeau basically had very different uh, opinions on each other, uh, and it's one of the reasons Coderre moved off to uh to Montreal. That's perhaps why I'm not in the caucus either, for a good reason. I'd be tearing my hair out if I was a Liberal member today. I don't know how I could rectify uh, shutting down industries while at the same time uh, feeling good and, uh, you know, espousing things that I think would uh, damage the ability for people to put bread on their table. But isn't Coderre doing the same thing? Well, I, I think I don't know where Coderre is. I mean, I think Coderre is basically, uh, you know... Uh, like he was
0: acting like an activist on the news last serious. night. He was doing headstands.
3: Yeah, I know. Uh, stuck his finger in the wind and realized that the, the the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And that's the point. In in Where I come from, the squeaky wheel doesn't get oiled. It gets replaced. And I think both Mr. Coderre and Mr. Trudeau are going to have to look at each other and figure out if you're so willing uh, to do damage to parts of the country that you uh, claim to represent, and certainly in the case of the Prime Minister, then how is it possible that uh, you, uh, you can account for having done what is a you know a very significant hit on an important uh, segment in our economy, the energy industry.
0: And, you know, Denny Cordaire made it known that it was, you know, it, it, it's the propaganda. It's the fact that they mobilized people. They, they got this message across. And what does this do for East-West relations? Because once again, the, the West is sitting there going, what the heck's going on with
3: Quebec? Well, maybe the test is you have to go into rooms and turn over chairs and, and, uh, and, and threaten violence which is exactly what happened to cause that first hearing to go awry and then to stand behind it and say, well, that's just the way things are going to be. If that's what we've come to in this country, uh, that uh, unruliness, uh, the inability to respect the rule of law, respect others' opinions, then you can hardly blame a number of people in this country from being highly disenchanted with the uh, the take of this federal government, which uh if it's trying to use Neb as a bomb to soothe the uh, uh, the passions of those who say keep it in the ground, uh, and who would prefer to uh, have us you know live in a state of nature eating acorns, uh, and fr- or frankly uh, give us the kind of energy rates uh, electric electric energy rates that we've seen in Ontario, then I think we have a serious problem on our hands, and I think there's a, there's going to have to be a, a balancing. The, the balance cannot be we we scream you you back off. It's going to have to be you've got your cake. Let us now proceed with getting our job done, and to ensure that what Canada does well in, what sustains its standard of living, is in fact uh, is, is in fact uh, put forward. And I think what we're losing here, Scott, is sight of the fact that uh, this isn't just a you know a company saying we're packing up and leaving. I think media or others that have presented that way are frankly disingenuous. They know exactly what's happened here. The process was sabotaged, uh, and it was sabotaged to ensure that this company would not proceed with using an existing pipeline uh, hmm. extension at either end by a couple hundred miles uh, in order to uh, in order to see this through. Coderre's play on this, Mayor Coderre, in all due respect, didn't get enough money. And, I'm sorry, but you, you can't hold country hostage yeah. saying I want more money. And people are
0: going to figure that out. I mean, come on. Uh, how long can Trudeau continue to ride the fence on this or suck and blow, as you said? I mean, sooner or later, he's going to have to make a leadership decision. Is he not? Or is it too late for that? Decision
3: decision is basically to be muddled and to uh, to on one hand uh, you know do your high fives at the Paris climate uh, you know uh, treaty uh, um, meetings and at the same time uh, basically say too bad uh, find jobs elsewhere maybe we can find a few more in solar energy making solar maybe wind uh, windmills. oh hang on a second here we just laid off the the last number of large number of uh, yeah. employees in Ingersoll who were, who were uh, producing those look Canada's going to have to make a quick decision here. If it wants to make that transition, it can't do so by throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're not going to get rid of fossil fuels globally. You're not going to get rid of it here nationally. You still need these things to do everything that we do as a society, even making electric cars. Um, So everything requires a fossil fuel uh, form of input. And rather than denigrating this, I think we should be celebrating it, because if we don't do it, I'm sure there's a lot of other countries, including the United States, that was cheering yesterday. Now they realize that the energy exports of oil, of natural gas, uh, of uh, gasoline, is now going to increase. They'll have more exports going to Canada because we absolutely refuse to do what's right. uh, We're the International Boy Scouts and we're going to get creamed on this one. Well, this,
0: here, here's the other thing, too. It's like, you know, everybody thinks that if they don't build pipelines that everybody stops using this stuff. It's like uh, Lac Mag Antique. It's like, does uh, does, okay. any, does everybody forget that this stuff just rolls through on trains if it's no, not in really a pipeline?
3: On trains through Quebec, that's fine. Uh, we'll stop also rolling products from, that are delivered by a train. I mean, it, look, it, it doesn't make sense. This was all about optics. Unfortunately, the optics are going to kill the patient. And in this case, what we're looking at... Is a, a reality of a government whose spending appears to be nearing at or out of control, looking for all options and opportunities to save money here and there, uh, going after small business on another file, uh,
0: and letting this money walk away. And th- there's my next question to you, Dan. I mean, he's 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 spending a lot of cake here. Uh, the prime minister Prime Minister has spent a lot of cake since becoming elected. He's depending on this to pay the bill. So what now?
3: Well, I don't know it now. I think he's got a problem, and it's a problem of his own making. Um, you know, uh, Churchill put it well, there's no trap as lethal, lethal as the one that you make for yourself, uh, or as deadly. In this case, I think what he's done is he's probably allied himself with folks that have no interest in his agenda either way. It will never be enough for radical environmentalists who believe that at the end of the day, we should be basically not producing anything, and that uh, if there's one form of carbon emission, it's a bad thing in and of itself. You know. We all want a clean environment, but my goodness, we do a lot of good in this country, and we have been doing a lot of good, and the energy industry itself should not be hanging its head in shame or be shamed by the likes of those who are well-funded to come in as paid activists to disrupt uh, our regulatory process. Worse, pervert our policies in this country or allow a prime minister to be given to this uh, uh, this, this kind of tyranny, Uh, of, of of a handful and then change policies that are detrimental to the entire country we're going to lose jobs in this country we're going to lose revenue opportunities in this country if those things have not already happened how are you going to pay to maintain your national programs how are you going to pay maintain your equalization if no one wants Canadian oil and Canadians are the worst ones to sell their oil then someone else will do it and we will continue to become impoverished i feel bad for the people of the maritimes today potential for thousands of jobs permanent jobs gone, squandered, and in three to four years, the other program that the, government's, the federal government is unveiling, the carbon tax, will mean an additional 13 cents a litre for gasoline by January 1st, 2022. Not only will they not have jobs, less economic activity, they're now going to have to pay a lot more, not just for gasoline, it's 17 cents for diesel. So you can imagine those who say, well, I don't drive a gas vehicle, everything moves by diesel, including the economies of the world.
0: Why didn't Quebec say, hey, we just need to sweeten the pot here? I mean, you know, B.C. does the same thing all the time. Why didn't he just come out and say what he wanted? Why didn't he just come out and say he wanted some... Not sure
3: some... anything that a rough pipe... Look, this is a pipeline. This isn't about an industry. This is about moving oil in a little, you know, 14-inch, 18-inch uh, pipeline that, uh, you know, is not there to... I don't know how you would you could possibly, other than tolls, provide more than what you're giving... Quebec was already in line for some pretty significant construction of its, uh, of its uh, steel mills to be able to build these pipelines. Ontario was going to benefit. Hamilton would have benefited from this. There would have been years of, uh, of review, of uh, having to rebuild, uh, maintain a, a pipeline that uh, has worth. I mean, my goodness, uh, the U.S. Gulf Coast right now, home to the largest refinery complexes in the world, wants heavy Canadian oil. Uh, We produce oil now as cheap as $8 a barrel. Uh, The latest news was Lesser Great uh, Slave Lake, where oil companies are piling up one on top of the other to try to find this oil they found that they can extract for as little as $8 a barrel. We have the means to do this. So this made no sense other than to satisfy a particularly... Uh, you know, uh, activist community, which at the end of the day isn't interested in Canadian what what's good for Canada, but rather what's good for uh, Mother Earth. And I am un- it's unfortunate that it's been cast as an us versus them. But this is not the way in which we can do business in Canada. There ought to have been a balance. That balance was clearly lost, and it was done so directly by the Prime Minister's interference in changing the terms of reference of the National Energy Board, not just its membership. To include that any pipeline of this nature doesn't just have to get a social license. In other words, every Tom, Dick, and Harry has to say yes, even though they're not getting even even some of them who say we're only in it for the money. It also has to achieve something which is impossible to achieve. Do something indirectly. Mm-hmm. Show us that you're not produce, producing emissions somewhere in the world by conducting or con- using this pipeline as a conduit. That's an impossible task, it should never have been placed on TransCanada or on this proposal. As a result. We lose integrity, and we lose a lot of jobs as a result of it, and economic activity goes with it.
0: Is this a done deal? Can this turn
3: around? I don't think so. And if I were Trans Canada, I would say no. I mean, why would you want to deal with people who can change their mind uh, based on whim? And unfortunately, uh, this sets yet another example of why I don't think this particular government is very business savvy. I don't think they understand and appreciate uh, that what Canada is not prepared to do, other nations are only willing to line up to do, including our friends south of the border. And it, regardless of what administration is there, Republican or Democrat, whether it is, it's led by a Trump or whether it's led by an Obama, the Americans are always looking forward to and do, do very little in the way of blocking their own pipelines the way we do. We're only doing it to ourselves. And is anybody out there second-guessing and saying, oh, maybe not? Next time you use a hospital or you happen to go to a facility that is funded in this one way or another by the taxes of this country, just think of the harm that your position is doing to uh, maintaining the standard of wealth and living and welfare that we take for granted in this country. Because a lot of people are sort of navel-gazing and saying to me, oh, well, it's all about climate change. Yeah, look, I understand that. We can get around to that. But you don't kill the baby or throw the baby out the bath the water or kill the very golden goose that is maintaining the standard of living that's keeping social order in this country.
0: Dan McTagg has been with us, former Liberal MP and consumer affairs critic, analyst, GasBuddy.com. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
3: Well, thanks again, Scott. Have a great one. Have a great Thanksgiving to you and your listeners.
0: You too.
4: The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.